Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. My name is Gianni. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media from creative teams all around the world. It's a guide to interesting new gameplay experiences. And every episode, you get to meet new developers, artists, musicians, researchers, and more. And if you've ever come across Conan the Barbarian before, you might be familiar with the Arnold Schwarzenegger portrayal or maybe the rippling artworks of Frank Frazetta depicting the Sumerian. But what if Conan was just a little cartoony fella? And uh, that's what you're getting with Conan Chop Chop, which is the first console release for prolific South Australian studio Mighty Kingdom. Kim Forrest is creative lead and Jeff Wong is producer. My guests on this episode of Lightmap, welcome to you both. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great to meet you. I can't wait to learn a little bit more about how this cartoony arcade style game came together. So let's jump right in. Hi, I'm Kyle Paletto. And I'm Gianni DiGiovanni. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 5th of May. Escape from Tarkov developers relent, allowing access to PvE mode for players who bought an all-DLC bundle, but not before saying, sorry, you're mad. Solo developed Mana Lords and indie city builder break sales and Steam records. Take-Two shuts down studios behind Kerbal Space Program and Oli Oli World. And we wrap all the cool things announced at ID at Xbox. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Articles to read. Videos to watch. And podcasts to listen to. sifter.com.au so, Kim, Jeff, tell me the origins of Conan Chop Chop. Sure. Um, so, oh, what is it now? Probably approximately three years ago, um, a game, a prototype was pitched to Funcom at, I think it was Gamescom, anyway, somewhere in Europe, um, to, the, to the CEO Rui of Funcom. And it wasn't anything to do with Conan, but... Um, he saw it and he was like, this is pretty cool. This is a fun little experience. And, you know, most of what they'd done up to, they'd done a lot of other things as well, but uh, Conan was a big part of what they do. So he was like, what if we did a sort of cartoony, chibi, cute Conan game with this? That's multiplayer. That's sort of, you know, a little bit of Castle Crashes, a little bit of, uh, um, those sort of Nintendo Switch multiplayer games, all that sort of stuff mixed together. And that, and it just sort of came together from there. Um, and we got the opportunity to sort of pull a prototype together fairly quickly to prove that the basic combat could work and the art style at, at a very early stage could work. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the mixture of a really fun playable originally um, and... Rui sort of thinking, how can we make Conan more accessible to more people as as an IP? Uh, led us to this, which allowed, and then that allowed us to sort of pour our our hearts and souls into a thing that we really, really, really love now. That's is that that's the origin story of Chop Chop. It's interesting you talk about that because, um, you know, I used to work in a comic shop back in the day. We used to sell a lot of Conan comics, and the type of people who would come in to buy them were old guys, uh, basically, who were around in the 70s. So, uh, I'm curious to, you know, how, like, how that sort of, uh, you know, development of this look uh, and the style of this game uh, kind of came about because it does feel very different. And I'm glad that you mentioned Castle Crashes because it does uh, feel like it's pulling along that legacy of, of Flash games that we would have loved um, from, from years past. 
you know, it's funny you should say that because we we sort of bring up we've over the journey the the original artwork that we were working with in the prototype, and not long after that pops up, I'm like, wow, this has come a long way in terms of what we were going for. But essentially, you know, what we were driving for was, like I said before, it, it was about it was about sort of taking Conan to a new audience. Um, I think I think Conan actually as a as a as a character and as a universe is sort of it's making it 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 started to make a comeback a couple of years ago. Exiles has always been huge with the fans that play Exiles, and there's you know there's the, those Conan games that, and there is that that demographic that you spoke of, as well. Um, but I think the opportunity to make a game for everyone with with the Conan brand was the sort of was the vision that Rui had when when he sort of had this moment of sort of serendipity, um, and and then you know at Mighty Kingdom we the the people that were working on it early days um, and the luxury that we have of having these artists that can take a few of your words and then turn it into what what people get to see in Chop Chop is is just it makes our lives easy even though you know all good things like Chop Chop are hard to make but the art certainly came together pretty early in terms of the style we there was never many arguments about what it should look like and. Um, yeah, and you know, even even back in in 2019, when we when we demoed it at E3, and it was still sort of it wasn't a done game, and that was when we sort of got led down the path of you guys should add you guys should add online multiplayer to this as well. But the response to the art and the style and the just the stick legs and the, the like spaghetti arms and stuff, uh, people just people just leaned into it hard and loved it, you know. Um, I expect there'll be some Conan fans that are like, what have you done to Conan? But, you know, I think that'll be, I hope that'll be heavily outweighed by just like what I've seen from my kids with sneak previews of it and stuff where they're just like, this is cool. Now, Jeff, can you tell me, we've, we've got a bit of an idea of how this sort of came about and I'd still like to learn a little bit more about that. But can you tell us um, when we're playing this game, what are we actually doing? Uh, can you expl- explain the, the gameplay for us for, for people who might be listening at home? Yeah, absolutely. So the game experience is is quite a mashup of a lot of different genres. In fact, I think the name Chop Chop is is actually quite appropriate because it has um, one of our starting points is it's a roguelike game. So rogue light, not roguelike. So there is some meta progression in that, um, which is a really like important game loop that we were exploring. But on top of that. Uh, we wanted to add multiplayer and more of a party vibe. So, I mean, roguelites are notoriously difficult and challenging and usually pitched towards like a single player kind of grinding experience. So it was a really interesting challenge for the team to explore how we can still retain that experience for single player. But also, what does that look like when we add more players and expand it? And if we wanted it to be accessible, then like what kind of like balance changes, what kind of player dynamics we needed to incorporate. Um, the game itself is like a hack and slash action combat exploration kind of game. I'm saying a lot of words because all of those kind of are key components in, <laughs> in terms of ingredients to like throw in the pot and then it kind of like just bubbled into, into uh, the game that we have today. Uh, so yeah, you play as one of the very, very well-known Hyborian characters, either Conan or three of his uh, very, very good friends. And uh, you 
basically are on a quest um, to defeat this evil wizard who has created a challenge because uh, he's trying to resurrect an evil entity from like the, the past. And failing that first exper- experience, sorry, failing that first experiment, he's tried to like throw out the challenge to find a worthy vessel for that to happen. Um, so, of course, a barbarian can't give up a good challenge. So they've kind of gone on this quest. Um, it's very magical. The world is different every time. And, yeah, like trying to prove to this evil wizard that they can defeat all of these evil minions, get to the end, and whether or not you can actually defeat the evil wizard at the end is is the challenge. Um, it, it is quite a challenging game, surprisingly so from the look of it, and it actually gave me a lot of Binding of Isaac, um, you know, reminiscences as I was playing this, the, the sort of brutal nature when you go, okay, well, I'm dead, that was my mistake, and I, it, but there is that sort of pull to get back into it. Can you describe how you sort of balanced uh, the challenge, especially thinking that, as you said, some kids might be playing this game um, with enough to motivate them to keep playing and trying another run and seeing if they can get a little bit further? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a really important part of the the game loop is the meta progression um, because classically like a very hardcore roguelike game is unforgiving and punishing and it's it's satisfying in in a way that it forces the, the player to gain mastery over time, which is really, really fun in a way because you keep losing, you keep failing, but you improve as a player. So we do have that component in our game, but we wanted to build uh, like the meta progression as well so that you do feel like you can improve your character as you go. So there is the element of personal player mastery, and then there's also the element of character progression. So we feel like that is a like an incentive for people to to explore, oh, my character is growing and my gameplay patterns are changing because I've just learned a new skill, I've acquired some new equipment, and we feel like that kind of takes the the sharp edge off that really painful grind. Can we talk a little bit more about the, I guess, the visual style of the game? Because um, the beginning of it is very Saturday morning, cartoony, sort of zany feel. Um, what were you inspired by and, and what sort of um, feeling were you looking to evoke knowing that, yeah, Conan has a long history? Um, what, what did you keep and what did you throw away? Um, yeah, I think that's a, good, that's a cool insight from, from you. Um, I think, you know, the... the the sort of 80s, 90s vibes of that cartoony nostalgia is definitely something that was leaned into. Um, and, you know, I think Conan and the, the Conan movie, and there's there's so many different sort of um, versions of Conan out there that we sort of borrowed from. So we, I think we leaned in, we definitely leaned into that nostalgia hook. Um, but also, like, like you've mentioned, Binding of Isaac, um, other games past and present that we leaned into we sort of borrowed from all those things which i think you know that that's how great games you know and i hope people think conan is at least good and hopefully great um because i think it's great uh but i think i think you know those influences come into what you're doing and you make choices about what which direction on the journey of developing the game you make choices about which direction you think works best for for your game for your audience. Um, so yeah, we, we looked at, we looked at games that, um, 
we looked at hardcore road lights, uh, road likes. We looked at rogue lights. We looked at more sort of action RPG games. Um, and we looked at I can't remember the the Nintendo game, the cooking game on Nintendo on the Switch, Overcooked, like things like that, where um, you know there's moments of panic and 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 frustration and and like you're yelling at your buddies to to help you do something and, and we just wanted to lean into all that but getting back to the art we really just wanted it to be a take on Conan that was just super different from what people had seen and also you know one one of the one of the um the objectives that became clear from from Funcom and from us and it was a really unified way of thinking was you know we do want those sort of we want everyone to be able to play this game, but also we want the 45-year-old uh, dads and their 11, 12-year-old kids playing this game together as well. Um, so I think the art style, it has humor in it that, that adults can enjoy and it has an appeal that kids can enjoy and then everyone in between can enjoy it too. So, yeah, I think that that really is what influenced um the decisions we made around it, but I think it's it's interesting you should say the things you throw away because this interview isn't long enough to talk about that really because you do I mean we went on a journey of of you know you can see the town in the game the first thing you see in is the town different ways of representing the town uh, different features that could appear in the town that we just you know we we tried and we we're like no that's not working so and like I said before. Old images, people drop old images in the in the chop chop slack every now and then, and it's like, oh wow, we really did take this thing on a journey. So um, yeah, so I think I think it's just part of development. That the the I always say to people that are getting into games, it was, it's like if you don't like throwing your work away, you're probably in the wrong industry because you're going to have to throw some of it away. Um, so yeah, but I mean, the the great thing about that is is that is that we ended up with this beautiful thing that we have now. Can you give us an example of you know one of the features that may may have been in there relatively recently um, that was cut um, in order to to get to where we are now, just about to you know for everyone to play it? It's a very probing question. Um, there's I can think of so many, but I'm not sure I want to say. Of, um, what's a good one? Uh, so one of the things we did have was we did have the game as a way less linear experience, which was probably an influence from sort of the Zelda Link's Awakening type, or sorry, Zelda Breath of the Wild type, you know, find your way, take things on earlier if you want to, if you're not ready for it. Um, but what we found with that was just a real sense of frustration from players that were playing it, um, where um, we probably didn't put enough around helping them get there with that. So, we found that we actually found that just simplifying all that and making it a really quite linear experience of like you do this boss first, then this boss, then this boss. It actually brought, even though it's one of those less is more moments where I think it brought way more clarity and direction to the roguelite experience, um, which I think was a great decision. I mean, what I think because what we had before, like if you picture say a Hades, it's if you had all those bosses out of order, it would just be a nightmare. So. We and and we now we've we've been able to really balance balance an experience um, that that really works well I think and and especially because every time you add a player the balance shifts a multiplayer the balance shifts slightly 
so uh, to be slightly more difficult, obviously, and more chaotic. Um, so that having that linearity allowed us to really fine tune that balance, which I think we've got to a really good good place now. That's the only thing that we've thrown away that I'm going to give you, Johnny. What about you, Jeff? Have you got something you want to add to the add to the file? Um, I mean, I can think of a few examples of things that we've had to scrap as well. And I guess one that really comes to mind is we used to have a very different uh, progression loop in the game in that when you wiped as a team or as a player, um, there was like a button mashing point where you would like try to like fill up this bar and then gain something that tracks along with where you got to in the bar. Um, but then we we implemented that and we got that working in the game and it was like fully added up and everything. And then when we were really testing it, the, the UX experience very quickly discovered that because it's a roguelite loop, you die quite frequently. And then that mashing game is just kind of not fun. It, it didn't really add to the game. So I think this is a really good example of something that like, in theory, the, the concept of it was good. And I think there are elements of that that are really satisfying. But we are really big believers, like as Kimber was saying, in throwing things out if they just don't work or they're not serving the, the best interests of the game. So as much as it was painful to have to like throw out all of this work that we did, I think we, we needed to do that. Um, and this is, yeah, there are many examples of doing that. And I guess like who knew making games was hard that you have to make these <laughs> tough calls all the time. Yeah, our, our UX director. It is hard. It's a, it's it's tough, but it's so fun. I love it. Um, our UX director Nathan, he has a saying on feature development. He's like, when you're developing features, never fall in love because <laughs> you may have to break up. <laughs> um, you did touch on this a little bit earlier, and I'm just curious uh, in terms of accessibility in this game. What does accessibility mean uh, to this team uh, and to this project? Uh, what sort of things were you doing so that um, a broader range of people can play this game? I guess like readability is something that was very important to us because we are releasing on several platforms and the Switch just has a smaller interface. So making sure readability was there was one thing. Um, We do have um, a few people on the team that are very conscious of um, like the flashing lights and stuff to make sure that that's not going to cause problems with photosensitive audiences. Um, we had to consider a bunch of like different ways to make sure that we weren't going to incorporate something in the game that was going to be too offensive to people, um, especially like if we wanted to make this for everybody. So um, like excessive violence wasn't something that we were able to incorporate uh, because that wouldn't have been appropriate for for the players that we were wanting to get involved. There's no blood in the game. Yeah, I think also just just at, at, at even a higher level than that, I think there's there's a um, they're really good points, Jeff, as well. Um, but there's also um, this idea that you can just ma- you can sort of mash away in our game because it is a hack and slash game. You can mash away and you can do pretty well. You'll you'll struggle in moments. Um, so that sort of even sort of little kids can play it. Um, and still have a really good time. But then there was also that depth of complexity around blocking and parrying and dodging and and putting really and putting really good builds together um, to to change the way you want to play. So you can you can play it at like a really light layer, and it's very accessible from that point of view. Where 
even if you haven't had much experience with games, you can drop in and play it and have fun. Um, but you can also dig into the like understanding of the metagame and the builds that you can put together with different charms and weapons and shields and things like that too. It's always my favorite experience finding some completely broken build and just sticking to that the whole way through. <laughs> yeah, uh, if yeah, I can yeah. find something that is completely broken uh, and then usually you come up against an enemy which ruins that whole thing and you have to all switch it out. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what the experience was like um, bringing it to a number of different platforms? It's going to be out on Xbox, PlayStation, on Switch and PC. Mighty Kingdom is a studio that's primarily known for its uh, mobile games uh, and games like that. So what was that like developing for all those different platforms? Yeah, I mean, we could probably we probably both got good insights into this. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's our first, it's our debut title on consoles and, and PC for for Mighty Kingdom, really. Um, and I, the last console game that I had shipped was on the Wii and uh, 360 and PSP, I think, sort of that sort of location. So things had come a long way, and I think from then, obviously, um, like I don't think some of those games you didn't even have to worry about having a user account. You just put the game in and played it. So it was a real journey. And having these concurrent streams of of requirements from the different platforms was quite challenging. Um, so we, yeah, the, a lot of effort and time went into just being ready for the different platforms. And, of course, they all have different um, technical specs that can handle different things, so there was challenges there as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It was a real journey. It's something that we've gotten quite good at, though. Um, this journey has allowed us to develop internally as a company to be to be a lot to be really prepared for the challenges that it throws up. Um, and also, the platforms, you know, the platforms are, are really have been really supportive of us getting to where we needed to get to as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's like Jeff said, and I say this to the team every day. It's like good things are hard to make. <laughs> So, yeah, and, you know, signing a user account, signing in, all that sort of stuff, it's like it throws up some challenges in development. Um, the stuff that really isn't front of the player's mind, but it has to be right still because if it's not, they notice. Um, so, yeah, it was a journey. It was. Um, but, you know, the fact that we can now say we're launching on all platforms, um, a game that we're super, super proud of as a team um, is, is amazing. You know, it's such a cool step for the company. It's great. Jeff, can you bring us a producer's perspective to this? What is it like to, to bring it to a number of different platforms? Yeah, sure. So bringing it to multiple platforms for like a same day release on everything is definitely been very challenging for us. Um, as Kimber was saying, it's our first, uh, as, our stud- as a studio, it's the first like console release that we're doing. Uh, so there were a lot of lessons that we had to pick up along the way. Um, I think one of the the really clear challenges that anyone that develops for console will, will face is just the very, very specific and different requirements that each platform has. So like one platform might really, really care about the button images and the controller images and all of that has to be perfect. And even if you pull it from their actual source files sometimes they flag it as no this is not right and then you have to you have to update that to be in line and it's like a constant back and forth in their certification process uh, whereas another platform might ping you on something completely different like network error messages or like controller disconnection messages so it's 
uh, it's quite a lot to have to grasp um, at the same time, especially for every platform. So yeah, it's been it's definitely been an interesting experience, um, and you know every every lesson you learn is something that you can carry forward and and make something better in the future, like more efficiently as well. So we're really excited about that. What's one aspect of this that you are both or individually really proud of? What's something that you just think about? Man, I'm glad that we solved that problem. It can be big, it can be small. And what's one thing you think about whenever you think of, you know, the hard work you put into this project? I have one thing that springs to mind immediately when, when I start talking about this stuff. And for me, it's not specifically about this game. It's more just the team that, that made this game. Um, like I've, I've worked with a lot of teams and they've all been very good teams. Um, and this team is no exception to that. Like the the effort, the, uh, firstly, you know, like we talked about us not having done this before. There was a lot of people on on this game who definitely hadn't been on this journey and, and several of them are quite early in their careers as well. But their ability to, um, to have just pure positivity and passion in the face of really tough challenges was incredible to me. Um, so yeah, what, like the simple answer for me is the Chop Chop team that delivered on this, and lots of people worked on it over the journey. But there's and they were all really good people, and and I consider them part of this team. But really, the core of this team, um, yeah, I could not be prouder of them. Basically, how about you, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I was the first thing that came to my mind was exactly what Kimbo was describing. Um, but like, like in terms of things I'm proud of about the game. There's, there are so many. The main one is probably quite like just broadly that I'm just really proud that we've actually managed to make something that's genuinely fun because, you know, like a lot of the time when you are like in the nitty gritty, working the nuts and bolts of a project, it can be hard to, to know how it's performing. And you kind of always have that question in your head is like, is this, is this just fun in my head? Is this, is this fun for other people? Like it's that question that you kind of throw yourself against the wall constantly asking. <laughs> um, and then we do, we do play tests quite regularly. Um, and there were aspects of the game that, you know, we were feeling like, oh, this needs work or the aspects that we changed and we were like, this is so much better. Um, and such like a, we, we did many, many cycles of iteration to, to tighten all of those little moments up. And to be honest, like there was a stretch of time towards the end that I didn't really play test the game very much because I, I didn't really have the time to do that. But then like I played, I played the game after a significant break and I was honestly like blown away and also super proud of the whole team because I was like, I'm actually really hooked on this meta and I'm having a really great time. And I felt like being able to feel that as like a developer on the team, I'm just, yeah, I'm just super proud that we, yeah, we achieved that. Yeah, it did. you just brought something to mind because I can give you a more specific answer about the game as well. To me, I think actually the boss fights are a real point of pride for me because I've worked on other games with boss fights and they are really hard to, to get good. Um, and and the boss fights in in this game, we've got to a point where they're they're well balanced. Um, they feel big and epic and and threatening and dangerous. And you can have moments where you are you are a quarter heart from death, 
uh, and then you and then you kill the boss, and it's and it's super satisfying. So the balance and the effects team and and the combat and everything in the boss fights is certainly something I'm proud of. We're talking just a little bit before the game's going to be in everyone's hands, but by the time that people listen to us, they probably could play it right now. How do you feel at this moment? Uh, super ex- my two favourite feelings. Terrified and excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, we, 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 know, like, we, we know that we've made something good, um, but you, you just... Deep down, you never know how, how things are going to land, and there's always that sort of trepidation about it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited. Like like I said, so much effort's gone into this thing, so much support from Funcom, just um, so many cool, fun times with the team and with Funcom as a partner. Like, we've built really strong relationships with them and within the team, and, and now we all get to see... Whatever, what the world thinks of it and hopefully they hopefully they think what we think yeah how are you feeling yeah like exactly the same like definitely super excited because it has been a long journey and just you know there's always that satisfaction of completing a, a, a project and i definitely have that feeling now but yeah there's definitely like simmering in the back of my mind constantly just that kind of terrified like, just literally screaming constantly because um, yeah i mean it probably won't be screaming for that much longer because it's going to be out and it will know for sure but just that like uncertainty about i don't know what to expect um is kind of there um we've spoken to a lot of teams in the six or so years that we've been doing this um, and i think this is one of the the best episodes to describe what the process of of game development is actually like it's really bloody hard it's terrifying and exciting at the same time but no one would want to do anything different if they could have the option um thank you so much yeah thank you so much both uh jeff and kim for for joining us um Conan Chop Chop, um, at the time you listen to it, is out right now. Yeah, you can play it. You can go to ConanChopChop.com. Um, it's on Xbox, on PlayStation, on Switch, and on Steam as well. Um, the it, you know, Tell us what you think as well. We're cu- curious to see. I'm sure the team will be a- avidly pulling in your, your feedback as we go along. Thanks again to both of you for, for being part of this episode. Thanks, Gianni. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks so much, Gianni. Uh, Sifter is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Nicholas Kennedy, Daniel Ang, Sarah Ireland, Carl Pauletto, and Adam Christou. Uh, Mitchell Lowe is our senior producer. My name is Gianni DiGiovanni, and I'm the executive producer. You can find links to everything that we've talked about on our website. That's sifter.com.au. You can read more about the games and the guests that we've featured. Uh, while you're online, uh, we've got uh, a new show that's just come out. Uh, it's called Walkthrough. Uh, it's a weekly news wrap show hosted by Carl Pauletto, who's a newsreader in his day job uh, and now does the best of keeping you up to date with everything that's happening in games you can, if you can share that show and this show light map as well we'd really appreciate it tell your friends uh what uh, if you enjoyed it uh, and the experience that you've had that really makes a big difference while you're online why not join the sifter community and um, we've got a discord server as well sifter.com.au forward slash discord every week uh, we do a, a sharing sunday where people take their creative projects and tell us what they're working on and we share it with the world um, so that you can see the cool creative things that people are putting together That's all the time for this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, have fun.
Chris Button here from Droprate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Unicorn Overlord might have a strange name, but don't dismiss its tactical prowess. It uses a, a tactics mode, um, and which is similar to the Gambit system that was in Final Fantasy XII for your um, uh, your squad mates, and you can say, okay, well. You know, Hodrick, who's my legionnaire with the big shield, I want him to prioritize protecting the back row. They're going to take the most damage. If they take a physical hit, they're going to go down, but I need them to be protected. So you can get quite granular with this, and I reckon you could build some pretty wild builds that are <laughs> totally game-breaking, um, but it's kind of the fun of the tactical squad-based gameplay in Unicorn Overlord. Tune in to Drop Rate to find out why Unicorn Overlord might just be one of 2024's sleeper hits. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.